Well, last week um, we began up. I think as I can see it, it's a it's a two Sunday message. It's normal. I was working to prepare a, a, an Advent series to prepare us for celebrating the coming of Christ. But I just was something really much in my heart as I talk to people, as I see the situations in people's lives, and even in our own life, the pressure, the amazing pressure that is out there. And as I just said in the prayer that we just prayed together. There's pressure outside in there because of all the uncertainty right now. You know, we thought we were at a time this summer where, where this pandemic was pretty much under control. We could do the things we were used to doing and get, kind of get back to some semblance of normalcy. And now we're in another wave. I guess they call it a fourth wave that in some way is worse than some of the others. And now we have this new variant coming along and who knows what other variants may be out there. And so these things can weigh on us and we may not even be conscious that it's happening because we hear the news, we see it on, our, on, on the TV or we see it through the social media, these, these voices speaking to us, telling what's wrong and what's, going, what's bad and, and then telling us what it's going to mean for us because Satan always interprets the news for you and he gets a lot of help from the media with that too. But, so I began to talk about that, 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 that God has an answer for us, for his church. And we talked about the fact that, that, that um, the world's facing these terribly, terrible uncertainties, the world facing things that are the grounds of fear in many cases. And, and all of these things, whether it's the pandemic or whether it's inflation or whether it's political unrest, not just here but all around the world, and these threats of wars and rumors of wars, which is exactly what the Bible talks about. And the world an- tries to answer them with the best tools they have which is man's reasoning and the skills that God has given to them. But they're limited. We spent a whole time this year looking about this series about pulling back the curtain and looking at what's going on behind the curtain, of, which is the veil of our mind and our flesh, because behind the curtain of our human understanding, behind the curtain of our human senses, there's a spirit realm out there out of which this realm was created and which is operating and brings influence and effects on us. In fact, the evil that you see in the world today, the origins of it are from spiritual forces, Satan and his minions and demons that are operating from behind that curtain to influence what's going on in the world today. And that's all the world can do is see things from this side of the curtain and try to deal with them. But we're not of this world. We are the kingdom of God. And the family of God, the kingdom of God, is, 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 is it, our origins are behind that curtain. And, and Paul tells the church at Corinth that when you, when you analyze and react to and you, you respond to these things going on in the world around you, the same way the world does, the term he uses is carnal. And all that means is you're judging everything by your mind, by what you can see. And so the church, when we're carnal like that, we're under the same limitations that the world is under, and yet God's put us here to be an influence, to be a light shining in this world. Jesus said, let your light show shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. He said, if, 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 you, if you are the light of the world, and boy, the light shines brighter in darkness, and there's more and more darkness and it's going to get darker and darker. And this is the time for God's people to shine brighter than ever 
become a beacon of hope, a lighthouse in the middle of the darkness, a lighthouse steers ships that are lost at sea, ships that are caught in storms and in darkness and fog, and steers them to the safe port. In the church, the body of Christ is a lighthouse to the world to, to lead us to that place of safety and security and peace that's in Christ Jesus. But we can't do it if our light's out. We can't do it if all we're doing is looking at this world and what's going on and wringing our hands and pounding our chests and complaining and crying out the way everybody that does not have Christ does. So what does God say about this? Well, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, there are many voices speaking to us today, more than ever. I mean, it's amazing. You, could, I get, you can get awakened in the middle of the night by some some notice on your phone that, that something's going wrong or there's a, an alert of some kind. So the world has access to us almost 24 hours a day and it's speaking to us and it has a message and the message is not positive, it's not good. The message is there's no hope. The message is you better be afraid. The message is you better hold on to what you got because you know, at least you know you got it because something's going to take it away from you. The message is, is, to, is to hold up at home and get afraid. And that's the opposite of God's message. So the church, we've got to learn to listen to what God's instructions are. The first thing we have to understand is God has put us here at this particular time in the history of man for a purpose. As I mentioned to you last week, I really believe with all my heart that I, when, whenever I teach you something that I believe, I'll tell you it's my belief. Otherwise, I'm teaching you what I understand the Bible to say. But I believe we're living in a prophetic season, a prophetic time. We've had many times in the history of man where there's been tremendous pressure. We talked a little bit about some of those, just World War II last week. But there's a difference about this. It's global. There's a shift. There's a spiritual shift, and you can sense it if you're spiritually sensitive. And Jesus talked about this. He said, you know, he talked to his disciples because they were asking prophetic questions about when is the end going to come? When is your kingdom going to be established? And he taught them a parable we, we read last week, which was a parable of a fig tree, and he used some others. And he's saying, if you can tell when you look at the trees in the summertime, because when the buds begin to come out, that's telling you there's a change in seasons. And we used the example last week of fall, a beautiful time of year around here, when the leaves start changing colors. And it's gorgeous. But somewhere in the back of my mind, I know what's going to follow fall is winter in New England. So although I enjoy the fall, I know it's a sign that there's another season coming. So as a church, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be alert and aware of the season we're in and these events and what they point to about a change in seasons. And then what has God said to be prepared for those? And God has given us instructions. He's not just left us here without instructions of what to do. The problem is we either don't read the instructions, we're like most men. When they get something to put together, we put the instructions aside and say, oh, I'm going to put this thing together until I got six parts left over. <laughs> and that can't be right. <laughs> or, we're, you know, so we finally get the instructions out and follow the instructions. Well, here's God's instructions for the time we're in right now. So you've got to read the instruction manual. 
But more than that, then once you read it, you've got to begin to do what God says. All through the Bible, it talks about the wisdom of God and you're blessed if you do these things. So we began to look at some of these instructions last week. We'll quickly go back and read Joshua chapter 1. And this was a time of great pressure because it begins by saying, after the death of Moses, Moses was the one that led the people out of Egypt. He's the one that told them that they could get out. He's the one they watched lead them through the, through the terrible the, 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 the parting of the Red Sea. They saw the, the, their enemy, the Egyptian army, devoured by that same sea. He, he was struck a rock and water came out. He would talk to God. He went up on the mountain and would get instructions from God to the point that he came down and his face and his clothes glowed with the glory of God from being in his presence. So, so they had confidence that at least Moses could talk to God and lead them and now he's gone. He's dead. And it's all fallen on Joshua, his assistant. The death of Moses, his servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, just we're going to go quickly through this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go to this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving them. So what God's saying here is, Moses is gone, but my call for you, or my purpose for you, the destination, the, the destiny I've called you, it's the same destiny, whether Moses is here or Joshua is leading it. My destiny has not changed. So here's the instructions. Every place where you've placed the sole of your feet, I have given to you, as I said to Moses, for the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Hittites, the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So the first instruction is God's with us. That went over big. God's with you. Whatever you're facing this morning, God was with them, but God is in you. Whew, we got to go back and do this all over again. That should so excite you. God, the creator of the universe, all knowledge, all wisdom is living in you right now. Whatever you're facing right now, you know God's not up there looking through medical journals to find out what to do about the pandemic. He's not online on Googling Omicron viruses and variants. God's not caught by surprise. God. God. God is living in you. <laughs> yeah, but the devil's doing this. Yeah, but greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I may just say this one more. God is living in you. He's not just with you. He's in you. Now, you may not be feeling him, but that doesn't mean he's not in you. That just means you're carnal. That means you're more conscious of what's going on around you than you are who's living in you. And the instructions we're about to read tell you how to turn that around. But you've got to hear what God's saying. 
Jesus said over and over again to people, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not, I will not leave you or forsake you. In Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13 is 5, he says this again, I will leave, not leave you. No, I will never, I will never, I will never leave you. And literally in the Greek it says, leave you utterly cast down and forsaken. Keep on going. And here's his instructions. Be strong. But you don't understand, Pastor, I'm just not a strong person. I didn't say this. God said it. So either I know better than God or God knows better than me. The reason I don't think I can do that is because I'm carnal. That went over even bigger. Be strong. And of God can command us to be strong. Why? We just read it because He's with us. Strength and courage does not mean you don't feel or experience fear. It's what you do when you experience the fear. For this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Keep going. And here, only be strong. Only be strong. That means we must have a choice of whether we're going to be strong or not. Only be strong. That's just impossible to do. But we'll see how. And very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which my Moses' servant commanded you. So we need courage in order to obey God's word. Do not turn from the right or to the left that you may prosper where you go. Keep going. The book, and here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. The book of the law you shall read every Sunday morning when you come to church. Oh, okay. The book of the law you shall read every morning. That's good. To get most of you there, that's a big project. That's not what he says. The book of the law shall not depart from your... Ooh. What comes out of your mouth most of the time? Oh, I can't do this. Oh, this is so hard. Do you know what's been happening? Did you see the reports of this latest variant is now in Rhode Island? That's what's coming out of our mouth. There's one person that always hears everything you say. And you look, up and look at them in the mirror every time you get up and look in the mirror. It's you. I've got to move on. Let it not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. I woke up at four this morning, wide awake. My mind wanted to start running, so what I did was I started meditating on these verses alone just slowly muttering them to myself. It shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on a day and night. Why? So that you can tell Pastor John when he asks you, do you know that verse? No. So that you can observe to do according to what's written therein. So it's doing what the Word says that causes us to prosper, but you won't do it unless you put it in your heart. Because if it's not put in your heart, you're trying to do it out of your head and you'll get talked out of it or distracted. 
In fact, what's coming out of you now is a result of what you put in you now. And I didn't say that. Jesus said it. In fact, what's going on in your life, I'm not talking people around you, but within you, and how well you're handling what's going on in the world today and in your life is a direct result of what you put in you and what you've meditated on and what's come out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want to know what's in your heart in abundance, ask people what you've been saying. Carry around a little tape recorder and then play back and listen to what you say. For then you will make your way prosperous. Well, I want God to prosper. He will if you begin to do what it says to do. And then you will have good success. Let's go to the next. This is where we left off last time. Let's go to the next instructions God gives us. It's in, it's in uh, Proverbs chapter 4. This is the one I've been meditating on, just speaking to myself whenever I'm in the car, whenever I'm riding around, whenever I'm not consciously doing something, I just slowly say this to myself. I talk to myself or I talk to God. My son. So, this is... Are you a child of God? Okay, then he's talk, your father's talking to you. This is your father in heaven talking to you, giving you instructions. Simple instructions. My son, give attention or attend to... I like that translation better. Attend to my words. Ask yourself this question. And just because you go through this week, what do, you give, what do you give most of your attention to? Is it the news? I mean, I'm talking about your mind. What do you, what's your mind paying attention to most of the time? Is it Gossip? Is it what's wrong in your life or what you, the, the money you need, the job you need? What is it your mind is giving its attention to? God's instructions, your Father's instructions are to give attention to His words. Incline your ear to His sayings. That means... You've got, to, you've got to strain to listen to it. A number of years ago, there was this commercial for E.F. Hutton, and it was, which is a, well, I don't know if they still are around because they merged so many times, uh, which was an, an investment brokerage firm. When E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens, and you see people on trains or, you know, bus. E.F. Hutton, everybody go like this. When God speaks, is your ear inclined to hear? That means you have to purposely determine to listen and hear what God's saying. Kind of like a husband and wife over the breakfast table if you eat together at breakfast. And she's taught, my wife was trying to share something very important that she saw this morning when she's getting ready. I know she was trying to tell, tell me, and I was hearing words, but I wasn't inclining my ear to hear what she had to say. I will when we get home because I want to hear what she had to say, but I was trying to do something to get ready for this morning. But I, but I didn't incline my ear to hear what she had to say. I was trying to incline my ear to hear what God was saying to me about this morning. So, but I, so I will do that, I promise. I, they, they all know. I've made a promise in front of everybody that I will do that. So they can come and ask me next week, did you do? Oh boy, I got myself in that one. 
Incline your ear to my sayings, verse 21. Do not let them, this is something we have to do, do not let them depart from your eyes. That doesn't mean you walk around like this. But it has to do with giving your attention. These are examples of how to attend to or give your attention to something. It's how you purposefully listen to it and hear what it's saying. Allow it to get in you and impact you. Let it not depart from your eyes. In other words, keep your attention on it. You can do that driving. I do it. I'm driving, but I'm talking to myself. You're talking to yourself anyway. You might as well talk God's Word to yourself. Because whatever you're talking to yourself is getting down in your heart. Keep them in the midst of your heart. We're going to see why in a minute. For their life. Now when God says their life, it's His life. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you life, and life more abundantly. Jesus said in John 6.53, My words are spirit, and they are life. God's word breathes life. Four o'clock this morning, I'm awake. I'm thinking, I've got to preach this morning. I've got to get back to sleep somehow. But as I lay there, just going over God's word, these very words, just slowly going over them, I began to get so full of life, I couldn't go back to sleep and didn't want to go back to sleep. It breathed life into me. Remember, behind the curtain is eternal life. And God's word breathes that eternal life. And eternal life isn't just going to heaven. It's the life of God. Their life, because they're in your Bible. Their life, because you heard it in church. Their life, because you find them. On occasion, we've lost something in our house. And when it's valuable, we just start, I, I get on a, on a cause. I'm going to find that thing. Because it's valuable. I want it. It's a missing something. I don't know. Whatever it is. It's an earring she may have lost or something. And we'll go around, I want to find that. It's just because I'm going to find it. So we go looking for it. I asked God one time, why did you make your Bible so that it's hard to get some of these deeper things? He said, so people would have to commit themselves to dig into it and the more they dig into it the more they'll get to know me and health medicine some translation says to all your flesh now, I was listening to a teacher this week and he made a beautiful distinction he says when the Bible says something is an example of something it'll tell you that it will say this is like that but this is not saying that God's Word is like medicine to your flesh. It says it is medicine to your flesh. So you go to the doctor, you give, the doctor checks you out, you've got a, something, you, in, in, and he writes a prescription, and now I guess they send it right to the pharmacy, and the pharmacist will have on, your, on that bottle of pills or whatever it is, instructions for how to take the medicine. How many of you open up that 14-page insert that comes along with it that tells you all the scary things that can happen to it and its chemical makeup? I put that right away. We don't need to understand it. We just need to follow the instructions. 
But most of that tell you the possible side effects. This has no side effects that are bad. All the side effects of taking this medicine are out of this world. Okay, we've got we to gotta move along. Okay. All right, so this is God's prescription. So now what I want to do is I want to look. These are principles. I like to give examples from the Bible of people that have applied this in their life. And we're going to look at somebody that was dealing with pressure more than you and I are feeling right now or have ever felt. We're going to look at what the Apostle Paul went through and what he learned and what we can learn, learn from him. He was called by Christ to bring the gospel into a hostile world. The world that Paul lived in didn't have a lot of all the things, many, almost any of the things we have today. It was a world that was, where there was slavery. It was a world where you had no rights unless you were a Roman citizen, and he was a Roman citizen, but he didn't exercise those rights except on a few occasions. It was a world that hated the gospel. It was a world, the major part of the world was ruled by, a, by, a, by Caesar, by the, by the emperor of Rome. And where Paul was living and ministering primarily was in, in the Palestine, which was under, in fact, all the area Paul ministered in was under Roman dominion and authority. Paul gets converted on the road to Damascus. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's one of the leaders of the, of the, of the, of the Jewish nation, religious leaders. And he is on his way to Damascus with, with instructions and authorization to arrest the Christians because they're heretics in his eyes. And on that road, God arrests him. <laughs> and he has an experience with Christ and it changes his life forever. And of course, the life of the church had changed. But the rest of the Jews didn't accept that or understand it. He now became their enemy. And so Paul is now called by God to go into a hostile world, a world that's hostile to the gospel, and Paul has to suffer in order to accomplish his mission. Let's just look at a few of the things he went through. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. He's, he's, he's trying to explain something to Corinthians about what he's been through. But we have this treasure, which is God living in us, in earthen vessels, that's our body, that the excellence that literally in the Greek means the surpassing power may be of God and not of us. Now he's talking about, so he's talking, go back, go back to verse 7. What he's going to say is that God is living in me, just what we just talked about. Remember God, remember Him? He's in you, all right? But just because he's in you doesn't mean you're not going to go through pressure. But what Paul's talking about here is the way he was able to go through this pressure is because he was more conscious of God in him than he was of the pressure on the outside. We have this treasure, which is the presence of God, in earthen vessels. Earthen refers to clay pots that were, that were weak, fragile. So we on our own are weak and fragile. Have you found that out yet? Okay, well then you're qualified to receive this. Okay. That the surpassing the excellence or surpassing power may be of God and not of us. So he's going to give us how he did that. We're hard pressed on every side. I don't know about you, but I feel that way some days. Wherever I turn around, something's wrong. 
somebody, some bad's happened to somebody. And now, you know, as a church, what are we going to do? Then you get your own life. You get just about the time. I used to have a particular family member would have a crisis on my way to church on Wednesday night. Pressure. And the devil knows how to bring it to you at just the right time. Just about the time you think you can't handle anymore. Don't ever say that. I can't handle any more of that. That sends an alarm in hell. Oh, we know how to get them now. Just watch what you say. And so he said, I'm hard pressed. I'm pressed. We're talking about pressure. I'm hard pressed on every side. There's no relief, but I'm not crushed. I'm under pressure, but it's not destroying me. We're perplexed. In other words, I don't know what in the world's going on. What's happening in this crazy world? I hear that so often. What's going on in this world? It's crazy. It's perplexed. I don't know what's happening. But I'm not in despair. Keep going. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. Each of these is a contrast between what he's experiencing on the outside and what's holding him strong on the inside. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always caring about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Obviously, he only died once. But what he was going through was like dying. And sometimes I've had days where I I feel like I'm dying. And then the Lord reminds me, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be crucified with Christ. It's just my flesh that's dying. It doesn't like this. Always deliver to the death for Christ's sake that the life of Jesus may be manifested in your mortal flesh. We'll stop there with that verse. Okay. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 11 because we're now going to see some examples. Let's, get a, let's, let's define what Paul says some of this stuff he went through. So if you're, if you're having a really bad day, I encourage you to read this because this is what a bad time is. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, in working more abundantly. In stripes, that means he was, he was beaten like Christ was beaten. More abundant. In stripes, that's literally like the stripes that Jesus bore. Above measure. In prisons, frequently. When Tony Cook was here one of the times, he showed a picture that he took of the, of the cell that Paul was in. It wasn't a nice concrete floor with bars and a nice bed. It was a hole carved out of the stone, a pit. And Paul wrote most of his letters that we treasure from in that pit. They couldn't stop the gospel. Are they ministers of Christ? Okay. More for, in deaths often, that means the threat of death. From the Jews, five times I received 50 stripes minus one, 39 stripes. The, the principle was this. They would whip a man just like they scourged Jesus with 39 times. And the theory under the Jewish law was that 40 would kill a man. So they would go just one short. Five times I received 39 stripes. Three times, I was beaten with rods. Once, I was stoned. Not like some of you were at one point. 
And in the Elystra Derby, he was stoned. They brought him out to the city and they stoned him. And some translations say he died. Some, he, he was close enough to death that they thought he was dead. They got the stones off of him. He got up and walked back in the city to preach to the people that just tried to stone him to death. Three times I was beaten with water. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. See, the evangelists today get on a plane. We put them up in a nice, a nice uh, facility here. We feed them. We put a little fruit basket. Paul gets the fruit basket and puts it in their room. Paul didn't get any of that. He had to walk wherever he went. He had to take ships and three times he was shipwrecked a night and a day I've been in the deep. That means he was overboard in the sea all night and all day. And I can just kind of picture you're alone in the sea floating on something, holding on to something. And it begins to dawn on you, you may not be the only living creature in the water. There may be things you can't see around you and maybe you're just as glad you can't see them all night long. Next verse. In journeys often, in perils of the water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea. Sounds like Deuteronomy 28. In perils among false brethren. Oh boy, we get those. In weariness, and toil and sleeplessness offer in hunger and thirst and fastings often. And I believe those fastings were he just didn't have food. In cold and nakedness. Besides these other things, what comes on me daily is the dirt, deep concern for the messed up, I mean for the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to stumble and I don't burn with indignation? So this is what Paul's talking about I was pressed on all sides, but I wasn't crushed. I was perplexed. I didn't understand what was going on, but I was never in despair. I was persecuted, but I wasn't, I wasn't destroyed. I wasn't forsaken. Now, what was his secret? We're going to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse, oh boy, verse 13. This is Paul's, he had the right perspective on what was going on from behind the curtain. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. So what is he going to say? I just spoke God's word. We also believe, therefore we speak. Knowing, this is what he knew, and this is what he spoke. Knowing this, I know this and everything I'm going through. This is why, although I'm hard-pressed, I'm hard-pressed, but I'm not destroyed. Why? Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus Christ will also raise us up with Jesus and present us with you. For all things which are for your sake, that grace may have spread to many, may cause the thanksgiving abound to the glory of God. Keep going. Therefore we do not lose heart. We don't get discouraged. Even though our outward man is perishing. We talked about the clay pot, the clay vessel. Even though this stuff is coming out our outer man, I'm not looking at who I am on the outside. I'm looking at who I am on the inside. 
even though the outward man is perishing, the inward man, the real you, is being renewed day by day. I, I, the other day I happened to watch just a short clip of one of the messages I'd given here a few, few weeks ago. And I'm looking and saying, God, you're getting older. <laughs> Me. It's like, because I don't look at myself that much. And I saw this thing down here, and it's like, and I began to think about that until the Spirit of God arrested me. He says, yeah, you're getting older on the outside, but you're a whole lot stronger than you ever were on the inside. Why? Because the inward man is being renewed day by day. So all the outward pressures coming on the outer man, that pressure is producing in me something inward we may not get to talk about this morning. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5 that I glory in tribulation, trouble, because I know that trouble produces in me, pr- produces in me uh, pr- pr- perseverance, endurance. Endurance produces in me proven character, and proven character produces in me a hope, and that hope can't be taken away. But Paul, it produ- the pr- more pressure Satan put on him, the stronger Paul got not because he was strong in his own personality, because he had this perspective. Whatever comes against you, God in you has an answer. Oh, that should have thrilled you. Whatever comes against you, God in you, is more than enough to bring you through that and over that. And so often what we want to do is get the pressure off of us. But the pressure's the pressure on the, on the coal, the pressure on the, is what produces the diamonds. If you will stay steady under the pressure. For this light affliction, I love this verse, this light affliction, we just read what that affliction is. This light affliction. He said, I glory, why? Because this light affliction, which is just for a moment, the New, the new American Standard said, this momentary light affliction, is working for us a far more exceeding reward, a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. So Paul's whole focus, no matter what came against him, was not what's happening to him on the outside, it's what's happening to him on the inside, and who he is on the inside, and who lives in him. Because the more pressure that comes on you, the closer, the more it drives you into the Word of God, the more it drives you closer to Christ, the stronger He, the more He's able to have of you, and the more presence God has in you, the more that glory can begin to shine out in you, and now that light begins to shine out in the darkness. Verse 18, and this is the key, and here's the difference. This is what those other verses we started with say. For we look not at the things that are seen, Don't spend all your time looking at the news. Those are things that are seen. Don't spend all your time looking at the condition in your body. We look not at the... He's not saying I'm ignorant of them, but I don't attend to them. Remember, we learned earlier, God's constructions are attend, told us what to attend to. Attend to my words. Don't attend to your symptoms. Attend to my words. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Don't attend to the news that's going on in the world. Don't be ignorant of it, but don't attend to it. And this is what will happen. You don't look at the things that are seen. Attend to them. For the things, but the things that are not seen. The spirit realm, the spirit, the word, my words are spirit in their life. 
the presence of God in you. Just begin to talk to your God lives in me. If you do that three times a day, every day, when we come back next week and I say God lives in you, you'll be much more excited because you've attended to that word. For the things that are seen, everything you're going through right now, no matter how hard it is, and I don't mean to diminish it, is temporary. Short-lived. Subject to change. But the things which are not seen, the things we don't spend very much time attending to, the things we don't spend very much time obeying, the things we don't spend very much time looking at or talking about, these things are eternal. They're eternal. Okay. Oh, oh Lord. This may have to go the next week. So how do, what is Paul teaching us here? He's teaching us to have his perspective. So here's what we have to do. The first thing is you need to overcome the fear of death. Because until you've overcome the fear of death, you're really not in a place to live. Because you spend all your energy protecting yourself so that you're not going to die. And I have a word from the Lord for you today. You are going to die. So get over it. Prepare yourself. You're going to die unless Jesus comes back first. In fact, I have a word for it. It says, it's appointed to every man once to die. So you're going to die. All right? I, I remember one time when Pastor Ray was counseling a young girl who had been diagnosed with leukemia, and I went into the, 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 um, the, uh, our conference room where we have books in there, and I wanted to get a book, and, and he was talking to her, and I felt God tell me to ask her if she, she, he's trying to, give her healing scriptures so she'll get healed of the leukemia. And the Lord tells me, I want you to ask her if she's ready to die. I said, I can't do that. She's here looking for encouragement. And the Lord said, strong, ask her if she's ready to die. I said, I, Lord, I, I can't do that. Pastor Ray's encouraging as he does so well. And it's just, you know, I can't, that's not what she wants to look at. But in law, until she's ready to die, everything she tries to do in faith is out of fear she's going to die. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Insomuch then as the children are partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death, his death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Keep going. And release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Hold that there. See what God's saying? When we live in fear of death, then we also live in bondage to Satan. Because any fear is an open door to him into your life. Go ahead. For indeed, he does not give aid to the angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, inasmuch as he had to be maker, takers, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God for the propitiation of sin. So Jesus came to deliver you from the fear of death by dying for you. First John says that, that, that for this purpose was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy him, might destroy him, might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So Jesus paid for your death. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. 
For we know that our earthly house, this tent, if it's destroyed, this is, this is a continuation of what Paul was, we read earlier about Paul. I took the break because I wanted to show you what Hebrews said, I mean what yeah, Hebrews said about, about the fear of death. But here Paul's dealing with, he, the last thing he said before this, is for we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen, because the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And now he's going to show you how he deals with that. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I got ahead of myself there. Okay. So when this corruptible is put on cor- incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then he, it shall be brought to pass the saying where it says, death is swallowed up in victory. Keep going. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Keep going. For the sting of death, the pain of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But Jesus paid for your sin. So the devil's only hold over you was your sin, and it's been legally paid for. So for a Christian, when we die, all you're doing is taking off this body and freeing who you really are on the inside. Ladies, it's like having been all day in those shoes on your feet. You've been shopping all day and you come home and what's the first thing you want to do? I want to take the shoes off because the shoes have constrained your feet and your body is constraining who you really are on the inside from being free. So the, last, the first moment after you breathe your last breath, you're going to experience the most wonderful freedom and joy you've ever experienced. So why should we be afraid of death? Why should we be afraid of death? Now, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 5. I, I skipped over that. For we know that if this earthly house, this tent is destroyed, talking about the tent refers to your body and house refers to something permanent. It's destroyed. We have a building from God. Here again, it's a contrast between a tent, which is a temporary habitation. There's no foundation. That's your body. And and we have a building that's a permanent construction with a foundation that's from God, a house not made with hands eternally in the heavens. You're talking about your heavenly body. Keep going. For in this body we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Keep going. If indeed we've been clothed, we shall not be found naked. In other words, you're not going to get caught between here and there. For we are in this tent, in this body, groan being burdened. That's what we're talking about not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed so that this mortality, the weakness, may be swallowed up by, look at this, life, the life of God. Now, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who's given us His Spirit as a guarantee. If God's Spirit is in you, He's the guarantee that the full possession is going to come. We've talked about this before. When you buy a house or something, they want a down payment. It's called earnest money. And what you do is you give them a percentage of what the final price is that you're going to give them. But it's while you're going through the title exams and all the preliminary stuff, they have that down payment that shows them that you're earnest, that you mean what you have, and that you have the rest of the money. This Greek word, arabon, which means, which means a guarantee but one of the other meanings of it is engagement ring. I thought I'd get a better reaction than that. 
an engagement ring. And this lady, this, this couple's dating and they're in love and she's trying to find out where he is. Is he going to ever ask me to marry him? He says he loves me, and I, but I want I a, I a, I a commitment from him. And I love you. I want, I'll live with you the rest of my life. I want to take care of you the rest of my life. And she's going, I want to see something tangible that you've spent some money on that's going to prove to me that you're going to marry me. And that's what that engagement ring is, and that's what this word means. And I want to suggest to you, God paid a very high price for the beautiful engagement ring that he has given you because it's the presence of his spirit in you which is the promise of the fullness of the kingdom that God has prepared for you when you take this tent off. Verse 6. So we're always confident knowing that while we're at home in this body going through all this pressure, we're absent from the Lord. And this is the key. For we walk by faith and not by sight. When we walk by sight, we're carnal. We're just like the world, and we will produce the same things the world will produce. But the church is called to be here as a contrast, as a beacon of light, a beacon of hope, a beacon of love in this dark, wretched world that we're living in. But to do that, we have to learn to walk by faith in what God's promised us and not by sight. So how do we learn to walk by faith? My son, attend to my word. Incline your ear to my saying. Let it not depart from your eyes, your, your eyes, but keep it in the midst of your heart. For my words are life. Not just life for you, but life from the people you'll meet tomorrow. Life for the people at your job, that nasty person that you just can't deal with. The words in you are life to that person. It's a light, a beacon. They'll taste something, they'll experience something. You may not even know you're affecting them, influencing them. But it's because the word is in you, growing in you, and God's able to shine through you even when you think you're messed up. God can shine through you by how you handle that light. And not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather together and encourage one another and support one another in a world that's becoming increasingly hostile to your word and to your church. We thank you, Father, that we can come together and hear your word and that we can come together and encourage one another so that your strength, your, your kingdom that you've placed in us can begin to become strong in us and to shine your light of your hope into this dark and dying world. And Father, we realize that we are your hope for the world because we are the carriers of that hope. And so help us, Father, this week to begin to become conscious of what we're attending to, to become conscious that in the middle of the pressure Instead of reacting to the pressure, we begin to turn to your word and begin to talk to you and talk to you about it and become more conscious of you inside of us because we know you are faithful to respond. We thank you for the privilege that you would call us to be alive as your church here at this particular time, in this particular season, 
so that we would be more than conquerors through him who loved us. Father, we close by asking you if there's anybody here in this sanctuary or watching online that has never received Christ, never invited him.